Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And I'm speaking to Kevin Miller, uh, CEO of Legal Sifter. Uh, it's an application that uses artificial intelligence to help people understand contracts, which can be uh, quite complex at times. So, welcome, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Richard. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. So, I gave a two second description. Can you give a, a little bit better description of what Legal Sifter does and how it works? We're an artificial intelligence company. We're based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and born originally of Carnegie Mellon University. And we're using a form of artificial intelligence, specifically machine learning and natural language processing, to help people digest contracts. The way it works is customers upload contracts that have been executed or are in draft form, and we have built models that we call sifters uh, that when clicked and selected, um, the customer can navigate the contract faster. They zip around the contract faster. They uncover hidden terms and conditions that they may otherwise miss when they're reading through a 20, 30, 40-page single-space document. It helps to ensure they don't miss those things by highlighting the clauses that might relate to indemnification. And finally, they the sifters help a customer organize all of their data into structured fields that can then be exported into Excel and to other databases for analysis and reporting. All right, so for the average person that doesn't know much about artificial intelligence, I'm sure there's all kinds of crazy things people think. So can you break down what are the elements that make your system intelligent? Maybe start with um, the natural language processing. You know, How does that work? And and how does it understand the documents, the computer? Yeah, I think there's a couple of major concepts to understand when we talk about this technology. Uh, the first concept is that it's math. It's really fancy math. Um, it's machine learning algorithms and natural language processing. That's the jargon. And in the middle of that is the word algorithm. And so think about... Uh, I always talk about it as extremely fancy regressions for those of you who took statistics, but uh, math problems that are predicting um, outcomes based on inputted data. So the first concept is that it's math, um, and it's using forecasting to represent results to the user. The second concept is that it's natural language processing. So it's applying that math to language, in this case text in a document. And what it's doing is it's looking for sequences of letters and numbers and their relationship to other letters and numbers to say that, hey, you know what, that sequence of letters and numbers, that's probably governing law. And the reason that we think it's governing law or the reason we think it's identification or the reason we think it's a start date in a contract is because we've trained our, and built mathematical models to see unique sequences of letters and numbers uh, and and interpret those as a, a concept. So we're applying math to 
letters and numbers and language. That's the second concept. The last concept is learning, so machine learning. So the great thing about this technology and the thing that makes it different than the software that you and I have been staring at throughout our careers the last couple of decades is mm. uh, it learns, meaning if we feed it more um, information and more examples of, say, governing law or start date in unique sequences of letters and numbers, it can then in, improve the mathematical model such that when it sees other unique sets of um, letters and numbers that perhaps it's never seen before, it can infer that it's part of the set called governing law. And that's what's cool, because if you think about how people navigate contracts today, they have to generally scroll through them or flip through the pages to find the concepts that they're looking for. Now, sometimes right. a document, you can apply keyword searches and you can search for certain keywords. But if you don't know the right keywords to search for or people use different words, you can easily miss those concepts. With this type of technology, math on top of text that gets smarter with over time and predicts, you know, recognizes a unique series of letters and numbers, it can see unique phrases and infer that it's part of a certain concept and highlight that to the user. And that's important because when you're reading a contract, one of the things that we all read contracts for are things that can get us in trouble. And we want to make sure we don't miss anything. So these sifters are like someone looking over your shoulder on top of your document to help you navigate this <coughs> complex thing and make sure you don't miss anything. So does the, um, <clears throat> the natural language processing, does it essentially build up a library of mathematical concepts that apply to, you know, legal concepts, and then when you present it with a new document, does it compare that against its library of concepts and also, again, go a step further and be able to infer, okay, this looks similar to that mathematically, so it's probably included in that. Does that, does that make sense? Is that how it works? That is a pretty good description of how it works, yes. Okay, interesting. Very strange. Um, so. I don't know if you can do this, but is there a way to show how it would understand one concept in a document? Let's say um, that something is a, um, I don't know, something really simple. Like what, is, is there a really simple element in a contract that the machine could understand, and can you take me through how it would understand that, and how it would mess up, and how it would correct itself? And so the machine doesn't, uh, today we don't ask the machine to do anything with what it finds other than to highlight it for the user. So it's not trying, okay. we're not trying to um, uh, replace a person. We're trying mm -hmm. to supplement that person with the technology today. So we know that one of the major problems, I was just at a conference, the International Association of Commercial and Contract Managers out in San Diego, which is an organization of contract management professionals and lawyers and non-lawyers, 40,000 people strong. And they had done their, they presented some of the results of their annual benchmarking survey. And they said that only 12% of their population uh, agreed or strongly agreed with the statement that contracts were understandable or easy to read. It was something to that effect. Which mm. said differently, 88% of the world find contracts hard to get through. And I think it's sure. probably higher than that. And so I think our first goal with our first set of products uh, that we've commercialized has been to use this technology just to help people navigate the contracts and, quote, just to help them organize the data inside of the contracts. So oftentimes people want to know things like, hey, when are all of my contracts up for renewal? The way that happens today is people have to read those contracts and write that information down. Or maybe they want to understand which of my contracts are assignable if there's a change of control, if we get bought. 
Somebody has to read that document, write that stuff down. We provide a tool that helps those types of processes go faster. So that's how we're using it today is for navigation and helping sure, make sure people don't miss anything and organizing the data. However, two years sure. ago, we built a product that did something more than that. Uh, we built something called the Freelancer Scorecard, and we're sitting on this technology now, and you'll see us come out with something like this in the coming quarters. Uh, we use this technology not just to recognize concepts inside of a contract, but also to give the user feedback on what it found inside the contract in context of the contract itself. So we targeted freelance software developers. Uh, these were folks who do 1099 or contract work for software development or web development work, and they oftentimes sign contracts with customers that they never show to a lawyer because they can't afford uh, the average cost of an attorney. So they sign a contract, they do the work, and they don't get paid because they signed a bad contract. So our team built a, a solution called the Freelancer Scorecard. You uploaded uh, your contract that you were, if you were a freelancer a software developer, you uploaded a contract you were, uh, you were negotiating, and our software used machine learning and natural language processing to, quote, read it, and then provide, after a few seconds or a minute or two, uh, a bunch of in-context feedback next to the clauses and offered help, help and support and suggestions on how to protect themselves, that themselves being the freelancer scorecard or freelance software developer. Wow. So we told them, hey, look, you need to look out for this, you need to look out of this, and you should consider adding this or subtracting this from the the contract. That was launched to That's the amazing. web in August. Yeah, it was launched to the web in August of 14. They got 4,000 customers in a couple of weeks. And we're sitting on that technology right now. To our knowledge, we were the first people in the world to try to use NLP, natural language processing and machine learning, to give that kind of in-context feedback inside of a contract. And so you're going to see us go back to that in 2017. And so when you talk about how would this tool, how would these algorithms recognize, quote, a concept and do something with it, that's what we expect to do. We expect to partner with the legal community and launch a series of tools that allow users to upload these complex documents that they're negotiating or have negotiating, negotiated and get an automatic in-context read on what's inside of it, which is so much of the battle with contracts given their complexity. I would think that, you know, if you look at, um, you know, within a, specific, a particular niche, you know, um, employment contracts, I would think if you look at a thousand of them, 90% of the clauses in there will be boilerplate and the same, and then there'll be a few outliers. So I would guess that your software would know the library of what's common after having been trained on X number of contracts, and that's how it could not advise you, but point out, hey, you know, you have this clause that occurs very rarely, or never, never seen this before, or you're missing this other one that occurs in 90% of contracts, you should have it. Is that how it works? That's right. The spirit of what you're talking about is correct. You know, this math, this, this stuff, it, it, the artificial intelligence in today's world, it's not generally intelligent. You know, it's actually quite dumb. But it's, it can be trained for a very specific purpose. And, and then it can be quite efficient, quite intelligent, and quite, and quite helpful. And most importantly, quite fast. Um, I like to liken it, today's technology, to a four- or five-year-old child. I have children, uh, and I now have teenagers, so I, I've seen this progression. And you can teach a four or five year old child, you know, to put his or her dishes away after after um, you know they eat dinner, or you can teach a four or five year old child to to clean up their room. 
you know, you can teach them to do a specific thing, but they're unlikely to teach themselves and they're unlikely to do it, you know, on their own and not without a lot of instruction. But then in a few years, they're an eight or nine year old. And a few years after that, they're a 15, 16 year old. And they can do other things, teach themselves and start to advance quite quickly. That's how this technology is going to progress. So what it means is, you know, if we trained these models to look for Cobb salad or the recipe for Cobb salad, and the recipe for Cobb salad happened to be in a contract, it would find it. Flip side is if we trained it to look for governing law and find it in a restaurant menu, it would find it. But until we tell it what to do with it, it's it's pretty dumb. The mm. nice thing about many contracts is they do follow certain patterns. And so it's it's somewhat easier, although this is really, really hard stuff, somewhat easier. Uh, this is a good place to begin to apply this technology to text because you are seeing um, a series of terms and conditions that you see over and over and over again. So you can actually right. train that four or five-year-old uh, to grow up and help you out. So um, what kinds of contracts has the system been trained on, and is it good enough where if you show it a contract that it, it hasn't seen it, or a genre of contract it hasn't seen before, will it still be able to um, to interpret it, or it has to be pretty narrow based on what it's been trained on? So we've trained our sifters on terms and conditions, and so think of a contract not as one thing, but as a um, a stack of terms and conditions. So to the extent that a term or condition appears in a contract, it doesn't matter what the format of the contract is, it will find it. So for example, uh, start date or termination date or renewal clause or governing law or jurisdiction or assignment, these are clauses and terms that appear in many, many different types of contracts. Therefore, the technology can be applied to those, te- uh, those, those contracts to the extent that you care about those terms and conditions. And so uh, we have seen everything from employment contracts to procurement, buy-sell, uh, you know, we, we've gotten it from the uh, sell side and from the buy side, uh, general commercial contracts. Uh, we've seen uh, financing documents, insurance documents. Um, it's a fairly, non-disclosure agreements, and, uh, it's a fairly long list of agreements that we've seen because our customers have run the gamut. We've sold this to general counsels, to procurement, to sales, to operations, to law firms. Uh, and the reason for that is all of those people have different use cases for looking at contracts. And so um, we've been able to apply, because we're solving the problem at the clause level and not necessarily the contract level, we've been able to apply our math in many different contexts. That's great, okay. <clears throat> Any types of... Um statements and agreements that it, the computer is having a hard time figuring out or you, you're having a hard time mathematically modeling? Where does it get uh, murky? I think when you start to get uh, more <clears throat> precise. So right now we're um, using the technology, and this might be too much in the weeds, but we're using the technology to uh, recall concepts, so find stuff that's probably within the set of indemnification. Um, or assignment, to the extent that you want us to go inside the assignment clause and tell you what type of assignment clause it is. So for example, I can freely Mm -hmm. assign this, assignment clauses usually fall in a couple of buckets. I can freely assign this without your permission. I have to assign it with notice. I have to assign it with your consent. I can't consign it. Or it's one-sided, one party can assign and another can't. 
Uh, this is in the event, say, it gets bought by a company, and then there are all kinds of exceptions. So it's, you know, you can model all the different assignment types, but to actually have the, the, the algorithms then recognize that this is type B of the 15 different types of assignment clauses and then do something with that, that requires another level of sophistication. Um, because you have to recognize that it's in the set of assignment. This is how I think about it. Our math guys might explain it slightly differently. But, you know, you have to recognize that it, this is in the genre of assignment, and then you have to recognize that this is an assignment clause that's saying this specific thing. So what that means to you is we're able to recall that this clause is assignment. Uh, we're not yet, as, uh, as in, in a precise way, able to say, hey, this is always something that's in this type of assignment clause, therefore you should do this. We can't be as precise with our read on that yet. Now that will come in time. Um, we just need more time, more 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 um, investment in R&D, et cetera. Um, that's the level, so the level of precision, the more precise you want to be, the more effort we have to get to. So it's, it's like a lot right. of things, you know, you can get to 95, 98% uh, but getting that last two or five percent oftentimes makes the difference uh, on another concept or another offering or another value proposition, and there's a lot of effort that goes into getting that last two or five percent. And so that's that's how I would tell you that's that's how I try to explain it. I don't know if I did a good job, but that's that's kind of where we're struggling. It makes sense. So it it makes me think of the question: um, if your system's trained on three different types of contracts, mm -hmm. does it? hurt the system and dilute it if it keeps learning more and more things or is it each training data set discrete and kept on its own or does the system like help itself and get better in general at interpreting language so at a broad at a broad on a broad level um, as we improve um, a model as we get more um, experience we are retraining our models and then redeploying those models across all of our customers where that's appropriate and so to the extent that our models are performing at a certain level today, you know, we just did this this last week. Last week we released a bunch of improvements to a handful of models and released a bunch of new, I'm sorry, a bunch of improvements to a handful of sifters, and then we released some new sifters. It's all of that, all of that was a function of um, new uh, training data in many cases, new focus, and we refined that refined uh, the inputs to improve the math, and then we're redeploying that against our 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 customer sites. We are doing that on an ongoing basis, on an ad, but on an ad hoc kind of manual way. So we ask our customers when they give us access to their contracts for their sifting purposes, we ask them for permission uh, to use their contracts um, for uh, research and development purposes. And to date, all of our customers have said yes because they'd like to see the models get better and better and better. Eventually, what will happen, and eventually could mean inside of 12 months, not quite sure, we will set up the system so that um, our our that feedback mechanism will be more real-time, um, such that as our users give feedback on the quality or the lack of quality of a particular, in, from your perspective, prediction, uh, we give that feedback from the user community and we improve the models, you know, that much faster. So there'll be more of a feedback, real-time feedback mechanism that'll be built into our tools over time that'll improve the intelligence. And then finally, we'll also do this in parallel. You know, we will teach the software at some level to go out and, and train itself. Uh, and that's, you know, where a lot of magic happens. That's a much more complex thought. It's a, there's a lot of trickiness to that. That's not in any way, shape, or form easy. 
Uh, but yeah. that is the path that we are on. I don't know so if that's the question. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Well, what do you think is realistic and what do you think is fantasy over the next two years? What's possible and what's like really way out there kind of science fiction and not likely to happen for quite a long time? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, here's what I think. Uh, there's what we think. Um, here's what's really possible, what's really, really possible, and only because we've done it before. Uh, we did it in 14 uh, in a really a beta format with a freelancer scorecard. Uh, and what we're going to launch next year. Um, you know, what's really possible is for these algorithms to present the best practice um, point of view of a company internal to itself uh, in the context of a contract. So what does all that jargon mean? Um, a lot of times when you're dealing with an organization, um, and let, let's take a, a standard purchasing contract, and you've got a bunch of buyers all over the world that are buying stuff. And they're not lawyers. Uh, and before they can sign off on something they're buying, whether it's on the customer's paper or the supplier's paper or theirs, you know, the, 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 the purchasing contract has to go through an attorney. Well, you know, typically, like a lot of purchasing contracts, a lot of this stuff looks the same. And um, if the buyer were better trained, uh, he or she, and, and you typically see this, I did six years in supply chain, so I know that you take, you know, the more experienced buyers can take on more and more of the responsibility for the negotiation. You know, they'll know what to do with some of the indentification clauses and, and the governing law clause and the payment terms clause, and they won't have to go to legal. But, you know, when you have a new buyer or you have a, a, a buyer that just doesn't understand that stuff, you're always having to run that contract back and forth to legal, and it delays everything. Well, wouldn't it be great to put the, the general counsel's mind, put her mind in the context of the document that uh, the buyer is working with in real time? And that's possible. Um, the idea that that buyer could upload a draft of that, of, that, of that supply contract, whether it's the customer's or the supplier's paper or theirs, and the yeah. tool give it a read, and put down the 25 things in context that the buyer needs to think about such that the buyer can make his or her red lines in real time and may not even, and hopefully not even have to go to legal to get the deal done and look out for the gotchas to make sure they don't sign anything they shouldn't. That's the first step. That's going to happen. That's within reach. That's within, I'm telling you, that's within six months reach, not within six years reach. What's not going to happen in two years, um, so I think that's what's going to happen, uh, you're going to see these uh, pl playbooks get played out such that the brain, it's almost like your grammar check and your spell check in Word, except that the check that you're going to get is your general counsel's brain expressed through these algorithms and expressed through our technology and, and others. What's not going to happen and what is still years away, and I don't really know what the time frame is, four, five, yeah. six years, you upload a contract and the tool, quote, reads it all, and gives you a summary piece of feedback that says, hey, uh, look, Richard, you don't have to worry about this um, non-disclosure agreement. You can just sign it. Or, hey, Richard, uh, I've read this whole thing, and I know you're in how you think about things. And mm -hmm. um, if you just go, you can probably let these five clauses go and just go ahead because they're kind of, we know we don't care too much about this, and we only care about this one clause. You need to go and get this residuals clause out of this non-disclosure agreement. Um, that's 
that's a ways away. That's a level of complexity and a level of of conclusions on on top of conclusions that are that are hard to model today, but will be um, within reach in in years. And so it's a pipe dream in the short dream, and it's a it's a real dream in 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 the short term. And and maybe it's five years out, maybe it's seven years out. I, I don't know, uh, but it's a ways away for us to be able to do that and provide that kind of, you know, people want a Siri on contracts that actually works. Right. You're going to see us get there incrementally. Um, outside of contracts, I don't know if you're in contact with any other um, AI and law applications. Uh, you know, there was an article in the Guardian, I think, about a month ago, where um, this team fed, um, you know, a machine learning system, uh, I guess, human rights cases in the EU, mm-hmm. and that it it asked it to make determinations on what the outcome would be on more cases. And they said they got it to like a 79% um, correct ruling rate. They call it like an AI judge. Any Anything else out there you've seen, um, you know, from other companies or other people that uh, is going to be interesting in the AI space with law? Well, I think what this Ross company is doing um, with uh, legal research is interesting on top of IBM's Watson platform. I think, um, you know, they're helping... I don't know if you know this Ross company. It's RossIntelligence.com. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yes. I think you guys may have done an interview with them. Um, yeah, we just recently but, talked to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's why I'm saying this. I, I knew I didn't make that up. So, uh, uh, you know, I think what they're doing um, on top of legal research, you know, I think Watson is well suited for that type of work. And it sounds like I don't know the folks, but it sounds like they've really harnessed that and are putting it to good use. And I think they're going to get a lot of looks and get a lot of interest. So I think that's one area where you're going to see this stuff. I think the uh, see these applications. I think another area where you're going to see applications of machine learning is is the general um, challenge of reviewing um, uh, emails or lots and lots of documents uh, for pertinent information from, you know, a, a, a risk perspective or a or a or an even an e-discovery perspective. You know, e-discovery is th- those firms have been using some some machine learning for a while in the form of predictive coding. They're using it at a high level, saying, "Hey, is this document relevant or not?" Yes, no. I think you'll see quite a bit of advancement in that in that approach uh, in the coming in the coming years from those companies and from companies who might be better than those companies at doing those that type of stuff. Because you know, I think what, when you talk to lawyers about predictive coding. They'll tell you that it still has a long way to go, but it's promising uh, in the e-discovery space. Uh, but I think you'll see, I think you'll see more and more of a focus on, hey, can you go into all of my emails and tell me if I've got some sort of a hidden liability there based on some promise that somebody made um, over the course of the last year? Um, I think you'll see, you know, it, it's kind of the Hillary Clinton uh, story. You know, Hillary Clinton uh, had all those emails, and and right. the FBI uh, Comey comes out and says, you know, we have to get through all these emails. And in legal sister, we thought, gosh, you know, <laughs> we're not too far away from being able to help out on a problem like that. And uh, you know, they, they, you know, I'm not sure how they got through all those emails, but I, I I'm sure they they use some technology that's not too far afield from what we're working on, uh, because the ability mm-hmm. to process the text. And identify, you know, risks quickly. Uh, that's 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 extremely valuable in a world where 
you know, the compounding uh, collection, a uh, compounding creation of information is just overwhelming of us. So I think those are some areas. I think you'll see, you know, this legal research space with folks like Ross. I think you'll see uh, further advancements in predictive coding and e-discovery, specific to litigation. And then I think you'll see some early tsunami warning systems on, you know, uh, things like email inside of people's, um, uh, you know, people's companies uh, as general counsels try to get a handle on the on the on the exposure that companies have. Those are some of the things. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you'll see, uh, uh, you know, us and uh, and maybe a couple others try to do what we're trying to do, which is, you know, we want to uh, bring affordable legal services to the world by empowering people with artificial intelligence and. You know, lawyers in general uh, have not been able to scale themselves, and it's one of the primary reasons why they're so expensive, and that's because they have not had technology that gets at the heart of what they do every day. It's not the lawyer's fault. And this technology helps them read things, helps them analyze things, helps them make decisions and recommendations, which is what lawyers do. I heard that right, model yeah. from a, a leader at Thomson Reuters. I heard that the lawyers read things, they analyze things. They, so I thought that was a really good model. Um, and and they haven't had anything that lets them scale, and um, and I think what we're doing um, uh, is going to help them scale, and that will eventually bring down the cost of legal services and hopefully help uh, close a lot of the justice gap that's out there, and actually double the market. You know, legal services is a 750 billion, 850 billion dollar market by some estimates, and it should be twice that because the unmet demand is is just enormous, and the and the only reason. That, that demand goes unmet is because lawyers can't work fast enough and at a, and at a low enough cost um, to, to, to serve that customer base. And as a result, a lot of businesses and people uh, aren't, uh, can't get to where they need to get to. That's it. Um, one thing that, that came to mind is, you know, like nowadays as, you know, regular people were confronted with terms and conditions constantly, you know, when you try to launch an app, when you use a website, um, you know, there's privacy policies, all kinds of things. Have you thought about um, an incarnation of your system that helps people um, when they're confronted and they have to make a decision in 30 seconds whether to use an app or not or some other service, GPS, and they have this 30-page terms and conditions type document to have your system distill that right away, you know, maybe um, live as they're looking at it, and tell them of any warnings that they're opting into something? I'll give you a quick yeah. example. Um, Google Drive, I don't know if you know this, but part of their terms and conditions is that they're allowed to make uh, derivative copies of anything you put on Google Drive. I don't know if you knew that. So it's pretty extensive uh, rights that you're giving away when you opt in for something as simple as that. Or let's say um, I want to use Google Navigation on my phone. I mean, their terms and conditions of use are pretty extensive, and it could cause you liability, and people will want to be aware of that. So I, I don't know if you've thought about an incarnation like this uh, to help people because, you know, you're in a time crunch. You want to use something. You're not going to sit there for 20 minutes and read it, especially if it gets updated every few months. Yeah, so I, I think that um, what you're talking about is a natural extension of what this company built with the freelancer scorecard in 2014. And mm -hmm. we absolutely intend to go in that direction. Um, when the vast majority of the world is tied together, you know, the, the, arguably the most important document in global commerce is the contract. And it is the least understood of all the documents. It's, it's so painful. 
And as as I stated before, 88% of a profession dedicated to looking at contracts all day find them difficult to read and work with. Um, So the average layperson doesn't have a chance. And a template's not going to help you with that. And a lawyer can't help you with that on his or her own because they're so expensive the way they're doing business today. But we perceive a world where what you just said uh, happens in seconds supported by the legal community, enabled by this type of technology, and it's a natural extension of what we built two years ago. As the, do- as the math gets more precise, as processing speed improves, um, as deep learning becomes more pervasive, uh, you will see us and others aggressively pursue that type of consumer and business um, application because it's on our mind. Okay, very good. Um, one last question. I've been asking, you know, several of the AI companies this, you know, what what's your thought on this? Um, is this possible, you know, a system that would review, let's say, um, you know, a thousand divorce cases in the state of Minnesota and then an attorney would use it, you know, a family law attorney, they get a new divorce case, they feed in the facts of that case to this machine learning program. And the machine learning program acts as like a recommendation engine and tells them, you know, hey, this is, if you go this way in the case, there's a high likelihood of this happening. If you go this way, then no. Viable fantasy, what do you think? Oh, I think completely viable. I think um, barriers to that viability will be, um, I think, getting the information into the format and into the hands of the people um i i, I feel like i feel like the way i could be wrong about this i think first of all let me, let me take a step let me take a step back on my answer I, I think here's my answer i think my answer is i think it's completely viable uh you know machine learning um and i think watson is a good example of this is well suited to digest a whole bunch of information and make predictions based on the past and what you're talking about fits into that um, simple statement and simple hypothesis. And so to the extent that someone is able to collect the information and find the talent, and I don't want to underestimate this, um, this is okay. you can't go and just hire a Java developer to do this. You have to go to school for this stuff. It's math and computer science, so this stuff is really hard. Um, I was told recently that some of the stuff that we are doing, and, and I live in Pittsburgh, so the land of driverless cars. So we've got Uber driving driverless cars all over the place in our city. And oh. you know, the heart of robotics, the heart of machine learning, Carnegie Mellon is the number one machine learning school in the world with Stanford. And so we're at the heart of this revolution that's happening. And I was told recently that what we are trying to do in natural language processing is in some ways harder than what they're trying to do and in, in make a driverless car. So I don't want to underestimate the difficulty of what our guys and other companies like us are trying to do. That being said, to the extent that somebody can get the information to a person who can do the math, it's possible. Okay. Very good. Um, So, you know, last question or two. So who do you want to appeal to on this podcast and give your contact information to for them to possibly become a customer of your company? Is it attorneys? Is it individuals? And um, 
you know, what service can you provide to them now or in the near future that uh, they may be interested in? I think if you're a um, general counsel of a small, medium, or large enterprise, we've had global 100 companies all the way down to 14, 15 people, person, organizations work with us to date. Uh, and you're in procurement or you're in general uh, a general counsel to start with. If you're um, uh, operations or sales uh, or a law firm, you're probably with, with our current suite of products, you're in the second tier of customers. Um, here's what we can help you with. Uh, first, if you have a stack of contracts and you need to know something or many things about what's inside of those stacks of contracts, we can do that for you. We have something called Contract Sifter Service where we use our, our AI in conjunction with service providers at multiple levels, including on onshore um, attorneys, um, to um, sift out the terms and conditions and data that you want in a structured format. We can do that for you, or we can provide you with the tool Contract Sifter, and you could do it yourself faster, cheaper, and better than you can do it on your own with higher quality because a person plus an algorithm is stronger than either by itself. So if you're any if you're a general counsel or your procurement or person and you have say uh, you're concerned about the assignability of a bunch of contracts because you just got bought or you just bought somebody and you want to reassign all those contracts to your company, someone has to read all those contracts and understand what needs to happen. Uh, do we need to notify people or can we do it with uh, with consent or can we not assign these contracts in order to move forward? If you want to know things like when are all of the end dates in my contracts uh, so I can manage my renewals, somebody has to read those contracts. We can help you do that faster, cheaper, or better. We had a project uh, for a large multinational bank, uh, one that you would know, one of the largest ones, and they had 31,000 procurement contracts that they wanted to go through to understand whether or not they were impacted by the EU safe harbor ruling that happened last year, where the EU safe harbor um, uh, um, policy that had, had, had has, has, has governed how we handle uh, data across the, across the ocean between Europe and the United States and other countries for years, um, uh, was invalidated uh, in Q4 of last year. So this large bank needed to know which of these 31,000 contracts were if impacted by the safe harbor ruling. We did that in a weekend. There is no way that a human wow. could have read 31,000 contracts and figured that out without our technology. And so a lot of times general counsels are presented with this challenge. Hey, tell me, we just bought this, we just bought this company and they prevent the offshoring of any suppliers. Tell me which contracts uh, with our customers uh, allow us, uh, don't allow us to, I'm sorry, we just bought this bank and they use offshore suppliers. I know we have customers that don't allow us to use offshore suppliers. Which customers are those? You know, nobody can mm. tell you those things without reading the contract. Um, so those are examples. Procurement have these use cases. General counsels typically in due diligence uh, situations, they have to read and digest contracts quickly in a short period of time. We have tools and a service that can help them do that. On the sales and operations side, it's 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 similar but different. You know, operationally, if you have a if you have a a, a company where you're driven by contracts, uh, where commercial business uh, doesn't start until you have a signed contract from a customer, well, typically what happens is when that contract gets signed, it gets read multiple times throughout the organization. It's an extraction process. 
And so it sits right there in order management and then it gets passed around to marketing because they care about publicity and then it goes to finance for payment terms and it goes to service or manufacturing or executive leadership or sales compensation and people read this contract four or five times. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if it got read once it got read um, for the same things every time, the same data was extracted every time, and then that data was mm -hmm. elegantly pushed out to everyone quickly throughout the organization. Cost would go down, quality problems would uh, lower, cycle times, uh, you know, the cycle times to celebration would go down. Um, we think there's a nice use case there uh, at the point of order management. And then on the sales side, there are actually, you know, there are some businesses um, who are as a you know maybe they're outsourcing procurement um, uh, for a co for a company um, and in their sales cycles they need to review contracts just to put together a proposal you know we have an we have a use case right now for for one of our customers for that or if I'm a sales person I want to know uh, what have I sold from these to these customers are there any triggers uh, um, like uh, some sort of payment accelerator if I hit some sort of a threshold. Uh, what are my renewal uh, clauses looking like? Uh, how do I manage those renewals? I need to get a bunch of information out to manage my sales operations. Uh, if you're doing that um, by hand or you're doing that manually, um, you know, leasing companies or real estate companies are like this. You know, they're managing lots and lots of commercial leases and they have armies of people that are reading these documents. Those people would be faster, cheaper, and produce higher quality results if they had contract sifter. So these are the types of customers we're talking to today with Contract Sifter. And for those right. customers, law firms, last point, law firms who are interested in becoming enabled with artificial intelligence and turning their service-only offerings into AI-enabled service offerings, they need to come talk to us because we're about to come out with a series of solutions that we hope to partner with the legal community that will enable them to once and for all scale. Now, lawyers generally don't, they can't make money while they're asleep because they don't have anything generally that allows customers to interact with them and interact with their brains unless they're awake and they're billing and they're doing, and, and they're doing business. That's not the way it is right. in so many other businesses. Um, we, can, we can, for the first time in history, provide them with a suite of tools that are coming out that will allow them to scale, and we want to do that with them. So if, if, if there's a law firm out there that's interested in getting on an AI journey because this is going to be bigger than the Internet and computers and mobile and cloud, uh, and it's going to change everything, if they're interested in getting on that journey, uh, we want them to call Legal Center. Okay, very good. And uh, literally, what, what's your contact information? Website, phone number, et cetera, email? Uh, so my name is Kevin Miller. I, I serve as the CEO of Legal Center. And we are at www.legalsifter, L-E-G-A-L-S-I-F as in Frank, T-E-R dot com. And you can contact me at Kevin at LegalSifter.com or on my phone, 412-370-1356, 412-370-1356. Uh, you can also contact Legal Sifter uh, at our main number uh, and talk to any number of our people at, uh, oh my gosh, I don't know my name, my main number. Well, it'll be on the website, but yeah, that's fine. It's on. Hold on. It's uh, 724-221-7438, which is 724-221-SIFT. So I would love gotcha. to hear from you. Well, very good. It's been a great conversation. Uh, a lot of useful info. And I think attorneys listening, uh, people interested in AI and applications will all get a lot of benefit from understanding you boiled it down really well. So thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. We uh, look forward to the podcast, and thank you so much for your interest in Legal Sifter.
You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.